Good evening and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. I am Bryson Carver as always. Before we even get into any sports or today's topics, I just thought about this because this is the first time that this has crossed my mind when going through my regular intro. Should I say live on X now? Because that, that, that just uh, it doesn't sound good. Uh, there's the, the X is just uh, Twitter, whatever. It's just falling apart right now. Jeez, removing the block feature. What are we doing? Anyways, I'm going to call it Twitter, whatever. Uh, but we got a great show on tap for you guys tonight. The Steph Curry-Magic Johnson debate is just flaming and flaming up because Steph Curry himself said, hey, I'm better than Magic. I'll get to that later on today's show. Second block, actually. Get to that. Also, NFC East weaknesses. So I'm going to go division by division for the next few shows leading up to the start of the NFL season, leading to kickoff, going division by division to the AFC East last Thursday, uh, which, by the way, again, some more update on the carving it up, a scheduling change. And so NFC East strengths and weaknesses. So we're talking Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, Commanders. Going to talk about the Giants in just a moment to lead the show uh, as, as, as to why. You know, I think we might have a – we should probably have a more optimistic outlook. Also, Aaron Rodgers made an interesting comment, as he is prone to do, and is one that I saw coming from a mile away because he got to read the tea leaves. Got to be very uh, – you know, you got to really read into what Aaron says. He's not just going to give you what he thinks on face value. He has to throw in a hidden message. You got to go in and find it. And I talked about this last month and we got some more confirmation regarding Aaron Rodgers' future with the Jets beyond this year. I'll talk about that. Uh, and also, getting into uh, uh, just this entire situation regarding, uh, again, regarding the Steph Curry magic debate. It's, 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 and also Joel Embiid, too. There's a former in a, in a NBA superstar that um, Joel Embiid reminds me a lot of. And I'll get into it later in the show. But first, get to talk about the New York Giants because they are uh they look pretty good Friday night against the Carolina Panthers. Daniel Jones in particular looked good. Daniel Jones, the guy who I have throughout the history of carving it up for the last almost four years now, been very skeptical of in terms of uh, is he a franchise quarterback? Certainly we, we proved last year he could be a playoff quarterback. He could put himself in position. Uh, I should say the coaches can put him in position to not make a whole lot of mistakes, distribute to his playmakers. He's more athletic than people give him credit for. We all make fun of him. Remember years ago when he tripped over his own feet against the Philadelphia Eagles and it's like, well, I mean, he outran defensive backs to get there. It was just his own, you know, mistake that that, that tripped him up at, at the five, and we obviously remember that play. But Daniel Jones looked good. Went to eight for nine, 69 yards, a touchdown. Uh, he completed about 88% of his passes, a pass rating of 135. So Danny Dimes was Danny Dimes. Like, I rarely call him that name. A lot of Giants fans dub him that, or a lot of Daniel Jones supporters call him Daniel Dimes. He was exactly that. Uh, he was accurate. Uh, the Giants got him, uh, you know, you know they, they put him in motion a lot, which, again, he is, I think he's at his best when doing. Again, we talk about modern quarterbacks. It's hard, unless you're a Jared Goff or a Kirk Cousins, it's hard to be successful in today's NFL if you can't move at least a little bit. Daniel Jones can. He looks good. Um, and I was thinking about the New York Giants today because right now I'm working on putting together my playoff predictions, my division standings. I'll have those in for you about two and a half weeks from now when the season starts. And I was thinking about the NFC and the NFC East in particular, where you've got Philadelphia, Dallas. Both of those teams will be gunning for that number one spot. Again, Philadelphia, I think, is better than Dallas, but no team has won the NFC East title back-to-back years in basically two decades. But you think about the Giants, too. They make the playoffs, I believe, with a 9-7-1 record. They beat Minnesota in that playoff game, go to Philly, get hosed, and that's that. And I'm seeing a lot of folks who are either buying out of their Giants stock while it's high 
or those who never bought it to begin with, like, ah, Giants are going to be terrible. They're going to be mediocre. And I've been on that mindset for a while now. But, and again, I, I don't want to overreact to the preseason because it is just that it's preseason. But we did see more start starters in week two than we did in week one, in particular the Steelers-Bills uh, game. How'd those Steelers look? My goodness. Point being, as far as the Giants, I was actually watching that game and thinking about them and thinking about their season. I'm like, let's be optimistic about the New York Giants. Because we talk about what's the, I, I talked about this with the Browns and the Jets when they play the Hall of Fame game. Like, what's what's their ceiling? What's their floor for this season? Like the New England Patriots, for example, I think their absolute peak, peak, peak ceiling is seven or eight wins. I think they're that bad of a team and their schedule's that brutal. For the Giants, their floor is probably five, six wins. They take a big step back. Their schedule is, is certainly nothing to laugh at. But four reasons, four reasons in particular, I looked at the Giants. I'm like, you know what? This team actually could sneak into the playoffs this year for back-to-back -back years. The first reason, I'll put this graphic up. I'll read it off for the podcast audience. First reason, coach, quarterback, continuity. Second year of the Brian Dable system with Daniel Jones. Again, last year, I think we overreacted a little bit to how good Daniel Jones was. I think it was just the fact that, hey, Daniel isn't throwing any more picks. He's not fumbling as much as he used to. That's a plus. And he, again, you bring in Brian Dable, who did wonders with Josh Allen, turned him into a guy we, we thought like, hey, is Josh Allen as good as Mahomes? That's how good Brian Dable is. Not to take a shot at Josh Allen because he's an elite talent at the quarterback position, but Brian Dable is certainly uh, one of the better offensive play callers and offensive masterminds of football. So you have the continuity head coach quarterback quarterback. Hey, the other team in New York can't necessarily say that regarding Robert Sala, Aaron Rodgers. I, I get Aaron in, the, in, in Nathaniel Hackett's system, but let's be real. That was Matt LaFleur's system. Number two, multiple offensive playmakers. And I guarantee you, this is not something that Giants fans thought that they'd be saying nine months ago when it was, I don't think it was even a question. Among the 14 teams that got in the playoffs, the Giants had it Easily the worst receiving core in all of football. Easy in, in, in among playoff teams. Your best receiver was Darius Slayton. You had no reliable tight end. Your offensive line was good. It wasn't anything to just go nuts about. Now, Andrew Thomas is, I believe they might have extended him. He's one of the better left tackles in the NFL. Daniel Jones, again, going back to point number one, is comfortable in this Brian Dable uh, system. Saquon Barkley's back. You bring in Darren Waller now. Knock him with for Darren Waller. He's really struggled with, with, with injuries in the past. But if he's healthy, he's one of the top five best tight ends in the NFL. And and I told I told the Dallas Cowboys, y'all should have drafted this man. You made a mistake not doing so. I was talking about the, to the camp and guys about that. The other day. Shout out to, to, to them. Um, the Giants taking Jalen Hyatt was one of the steals of the draft. And I think you saw that on Friday night. You see him with that little double move. As open as open could be. He's open by, what, five to seven yards for that touchdown? I understand it's the backup sin. I get that. But Jalen Hyatt's one of the fastest players in the league, one of the more underrated route runners of his, his position, and will be a nightmare for any corner in the NFL all season long. And that system and that offense, with the play action with Daniel Jones, oh, that'll be an issue. There's no question about it. So the offensive playmakers, too, I think are a reason to be optimistic uh, for the Giants, whether you're a Giants fan or not. Point number three, a young and, excuse me, improving defense. Kayvon Thibodeau, Dexter Lawrence. You have some good playmakers on that side of the ball, particularly in the defensive line. This is the same defense that got a big stop late in the game against the Minnesota Vikings, right? In that high-powered offense, you had Justin Jefferson. You had uh, you had uh, Adam Thielen. You had TJ Hawkinson, Dalvin Cook, all these playmakers for Minnesota. And the Giants essentially shut them down in the fourth quarter. And we all know situational football is absolutely critical once the playoffs will roll around.
That's what the Giants were able to do. Typically, unless your defense is just stacked, uh, like the 49ers, for example, typically defenses that are really good the first year aren't quite as productive in year two because the teams have more film on them. They know more what to expect, but the Giants are young. They're not paying guys a lot of money so they can get away with, you know, being a middle of the pack, if not maybe better than that defense. And again, very young. And the fourth point and final point is, and I think it's most important, it's a weak conference. NFC, I, I, I think that there are only, at least in my view, three teams that I think are locks in the NFC to make the playoffs. I, again, knock on wood, nobody gets hurt, but... Philly's making the playoffs if they stay healthy. San Francisco's making the playoffs if they stay healthy. I personally think Dallas, I'm sorry, not Dallas. Detroit, given that division, is going to make the playoffs if healthy. Dallas, it could go sideways. I think they're going to get in, but it could go sideways. Uh, Seattle, a lot of new offensive playmakers, but not quite as easy of a schedule. It's not a fourth-place schedule like it was a year ago. Chicago, like them, haven't seen it work quite yet. Green Bay, I'm very skeptical about Jordan Love. I know he's looked good, but that's, again, it's the preseason. Uh, we don't have any regular season tape on him yet, and there's a reason that he sat for three years and the Packers didn't trade Aaron Rodgers despite some of his the headaches that he caused and provided for them. So NFC is, is we know Philly and San Francisco are the cream of the crop, and I personally love Detroit. Everybody else, there's four, four more playoff spots. A couple more division winners. We know an NFC South team is tragically going to sneak in as weak as that division is. But after that, got a few spots left. Are the Giants good enough? Are they talented enough to get in? They were a year ago. I don't see any reason why this team shouldn't be bare minimum in the hunt. I'm not saying they're going to you know, be a contender, but could they win another playoff game? Sure, they could. They did, after all, beat one of the more high-powered offenses in the NFL a year ago with Kirk Cousins having arguably the best season of his career against the best receiver in football, Justin Jefferson. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So, I don't know. I watched the Giants and... I don't know, maybe it was just a glass half full moment. Maybe I was just in a good mood that day. I don't know what it was. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to be in a good mood. I'll, I'll get to in, in just a quick second. It actually revolves around another New York sports team. But I just watched them like, you know what? Th th that that looks like a team that can sneak in the playoffs once again. And I, th I think you are, we rather, are making a mistake if we're just looking past Brian Dable. Again, do I think Daniel Jones is a even top? Th I'm not sure Daniel Jones is a top 20 quarterback. He may be friends like 19, 20, 21, like in that category. Like kind of like the Jalen Brown, so to speak, of the NFL in terms of quarterbacks. But it was good enough to get to the playoffs last year. Evidently, 15 touchdowns was good enough to get to the playoffs. Do I think the contract he got was outrageous? Yes. I don't think he's accomplished near what guys making that kind of money have accomplished. But that's a team that's good enough to make the playoffs. At least that's the way I see it. Uh, let's see, my man Patrick Brown's in the comments. Yeah, I saw this right before the show uh, started. Probably give a quick take on this later on. He says, breaking news, the Colts allowed Jonathan Taylor permission to seek a trade. Again, I'll, I'll give more of a take on that later in the show, but that's, yeah. I, J Jim Ursay didn't exactly do himself any favors in terms of the negotiation. If you weren't going to pay Jonathan Taylor, that's one thing. But if you are saying, hey, you know, Jonathan Taylor and I could die tomorrow and nobody would care. Yeah, that's not the greatest negotiating tactic, uh, Mr. Ursay. I, I, that's, that's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to work. Real quick, and, and you guys might have been wondering why I was in such a good mood uh, coming into today's show. Did you see what happened starting on Friday night in the Bronx in New York City? The Yankees lose. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. 
Put seven runs on him early. Won the game on Friday. Love it. Listen, Red Sox still in the wild card hunt. Just, 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 just staying alive. It's like staying alive, right? MLB wild card chase. It's, it's, it's. Listen, maybe people are as um, intrigued that the Yankees aren't in in the playoff mix and the Angels aren't in the playoff mix. Shocker, shocker. You know, Angels should have traded Shohei. Said that uh, you know a month ago, and they're living to pay the price for it. But listen, we still got some interesting teams out there. Baltimore is an interesting story. I st- I know Houston got swept over the weekend. I understand that. I still think Houston's going to win the American League and face Atlanta and get beaten six games. I said that before the season started. Rematch of the 2021 World Series. Uh, The Braves part, I feel (laughs) safe to say pretty confident, although the the Dodgers are on a a tear right now. Uh, uh, Red Sox actually play the the Astros in the – Four, is it a four? I think it's a four-game series in Houston, so very excited to to watch that. Big series for for the Red Sox. But one to get into my second topic and play a soundbite to start it. So, I guess this discussion started about 14-ish months ago when the Warriors, my Golden State Warriors, won the finals against Boston. Was It was, it was two discussions, one more prominent than the other because one was more, I think, realistic than the other, is regarding Steph Curry. Is he a top 10 player ever? For me, when he won the finals MVP, when he dominated that series against the best defensive basketball, against the defensive player of the year, and took a less talented team to win a championship. I'm like, what are you talking about? Is he a top 10 play? I, I got him at seven. I put him at seven at the time. I've got him up to six now after that 50-point masterpiece that he put on the Sacramento Kings. I put him above Duncan uh, because Steph had one of, if not the greatest game seven in the history of the National Basketball Association. But the second discussion, the one we'll get into today, because Steph himself uh, started this discussion on Gilbert Arenas' show, which Gilbert says some crazy things, but it was actually a pretty good interview. Is is Steph Curry the greatest point guard of all time, even over uh, the great Magic Johnson? So we'll play the soundbite from Steph uh, and what he said in that regard. Are you the best point guard ever? Yes. I have to, yes. Is me and Magic? That's the, the conversation? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because, you know, as, as we can look at stats all day, right? You know, we can look at stats and try to judge. Um, I wasn't around with Magic. Me I know, I know, right? So, I, so much I know there's not a lot of six nine point guard. No one's trying. I, I'm, I'm thinking about the '90s growing up. There was nobody trying to be a six nine point guard, right? I mean, it just. But I, I can witness and watch every kid trying to be Curry. You know what I mean? So it's like the influence that you really have on the game from the position as a player, I, you know, I look at the stats and say, okay, Magic then Curry. When I look at the kids and I watch AAU, it's like, nah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, obviously I have to answer it that way, but I really feel like to your point, like Magic's resume is ridiculous. Like, Mm -hmm. all right. So the fact that we're even having that conversation is a, that's a, it's a place I never thought I'd be in. But the fact that, to your point of like how you grade it in the whole conversation, that's why we have the conversations because mm-hmm. it's fun and it's, yeah. it's you know measuring errors against each other. And I love that's what basketball, that's what sports is all about. That's why people watch. That's why people get you know in heated debates about it. I love it. So you put me on my own team. Yeah, I'm gonna rep myself for sure. Okay, so Steph was pretty upfront and honest, saying like, "Yeah, I'm the greatest point guard ever." 
Yes, him, and 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 then Steph sort of, you know, as being typical Steph fashion, try to play the humble card, like, hey, you know, the fact that we even have this discussion, given Magic resume, is just it, it's a privilege to be even, uh, you know, to be in that class. First of all, before I even get into that, um, again, I love that Steph was not falsely humble. We hear these questions all the time, like, well, I mean, that's a subjective question, and it's up to it depends on eras, and I and I do think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of validity too, like it's it's hard to compare eras, like. You know, if we say, hey, the, the 2017 Warriors are the greatest shooting. I'm not talking about team. I'm just saying shooting team of all time compared to the 86 Celtics. Well, yeah, there's get, basketballs played very differently compared to the two decades. So, again, if we're just talking based off accomplishments and just that, yeah, Magic's absolutely better than Steph. And, again, I do have Magic above Steph currently on my all-time list. I've, I've said top 10 all-time, 1 to 10. LeBron. MJ, Kareem, Magic, I'm sorry, uh, Kobe, Magic, Steph, Duncan, Bird, Shaq, Russell. That's my top 10 players of all time. Then you've got, I got uh, Will at 11, Hakeem at 12. Uh, and then I forgot who I had after that. Was it, I don't know, what Jerry West was. I can't remember. Somebody, I, I forget who I had at 13. Point is to me, that's the 10 greatest players of all time in that order. And I think we get into a very odd space when we're having these GOAT discussions, particularly in the NBA, because I think that's where it's most prevalent because it's the age old, who's the greatest, Bron or Jordan? Like that's, we're going to be having that discussion unless somebody, unless Wimby or somebody else down the pipeline puts himself in that discussion. I don't think Steph, well, I'm the biggest Steph fan in the world. I don't think Steph will put himself, I don't want to put any limits on, on the guy, but I don't think he'll ever put himself in the greatest basketball player of all time discussion. But we get into a weird space with these discussions that, is it based off just accomplishments? Is it based on impact on the game? Is it based on longevity? Is it a mix of the three? Because again, I always say this. I think the debate is between Braun and Jordan with Kareem at three. But if we're simply going off of resume, Kareem's the best player ever. Over LeBron, over Jordan. Kareem's got as many championships as Jordan, more MVPs than both Jordan and LeBron. Uh, you know, he, longevity, he's up, up there right with LeBron. LeBron's going to surpass him this year, you know, in seasons played. And LeBron's greater this late in his career as opposed to Kareem. Again, sports science was completely different compared to the 80s and now. But again, I, I think it's, it, it's all, again, it's, it is all based on preference. But I, 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 here's where I look at it with Steph and with Magic. Because... My biggest dispute with those who push back against Steph being above Magic. And again, I have Steph above Magic. P people, but people who don't uh, think that should even be a discussion is, well, Steph's not a point guard. He's not the traditional point guard. Okay, but Magic didn't just play exclusively point guard. You could argue the most iconic game of Magic's career. Rookie year, 1980, game six against Philadelphia. Kareem's out. I think it was with an ankle injury. Kareem is the MVP of the league. More on that and later in this, in this segment. And here's Magic, rookie out of Michigan State, playing center, scoring, was it 42? I think it's 42, the baby skyhook. He's out there jumping at center court at six feet, nine inches tall. When Magic came to the league, we never, we, I wasn't around at the time of him. 20 years old, but people hadn't seen anything like magic, like a six, nine guy who can handle the ball, but can also play the big, like we, that doesn't make sense. And the magic played center from time to time. Magic played power forward from time. Magic played the two guard every now and then magic was extremely versed. Now Steph's not versatile as versatile as magic in terms of position by position. His is more 
point guard, shooting guard. He can be a guy who come off screens. He can be the, so to speak, whenever in the rare instances he wants to be the typical like two guard where it's like Kobe or Dwayne Wade just hunting his own shot over and over and over. But he's versatile in that regard as well. My biggest problem with the debate between the two is this notion that there is one way to be a point guard. Because if that's the case, the Magic himself can't be the greatest point guard ever discussion. I don't think it's just high assists. I don't think it's because, obviously, Stockton's the all-time leader assist. I don't think anybody thinks John Stockton's the greatest point guard ever, albeit he's probably top five. There's no one way to be great. There's no one way to be a point guard. Heck, heck, there's no one way to be any position. LeBron James is technically the greatest small forward ever over Larry Bird. He doesn't really play that. He can't. He has played like a small forward. He overwhelmingly, he plays more like a guard, plays more like Magic. I've always said the debate between greatest ever, Jordan LeBron, is a fair one to have. But in terms of stylistically, closest thing to Jordan is Kobe. Closest thing to LeBron is Magic from a style standpoint. It's kind of like I talk, uh, by the way, it's, I talk about this too with, with Lamar Jackson that people are like, oh, he's not a traditional quarterback. Well, he's still quarterback. I mean, that's, there's no one way to be a great player. There's no one way to be a great quarterback, great uh, small four, great point guard, great chef, great entrepreneur. There's n- numerous ways to do it. So I want to just move past that because I think that's, I think it's a, that's a, a bad point to make because Magic and Steph are very similar in that regard. A lot to me, and this is a big reason why I have LeBron over Jordan. And if Steph were to win another title, I think he would pass Magic. Is what Steph's had to overcome in his NBA career compared to Magic. You got to realize. <laughs> it took a unique set of circumstances for Magic Johnson, the best player in college basketball, at a time when when you got guys straight out of college basketball, Straight straight out of the NCAA and Magic's case, Michigan State, they were ready to go in the NBA right off the bat because they almost always play more than one year as opposed to now with not only do you have one-and-done culture, but you have guys playing overtime elite. You have so many more talented players coming from overseas that the talent in college basketball is probably lesser than it's ever been in its history, at least that's coming into the NBA. But Magic drafted by the Lakers uh, in 1979. He's drafted, you know, high up, first overall pick. And unlike, again, when you're the first pick, you almost always inherit a crappy run franchise. There's a reason they did have the number one overall pick to get you. But again, unique set of circumstances for the Lakers to get him. And here comes Magic Johnson, and he inherits the best player in basketball as his teammate, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like, that. that is, we've never seen anything like that in the... Tim Duncan is the only close, you know, example when he was drafted by the Spurs. I think it was in 96. But David Robinson was not the best player in basketball. Still very good, kind of moving out of his prime at that time, but never the best player in basketball that, at that point in his career. Steph's drafted seventh overall in 2009 by a Golden State Warriors franchise that had one playoff appearance in 17 years. So what they inherited was completely different. Steph had to endure the the daily, the, not the daily grind, the yearly grind of what most high picks have to deal with. Poorly run franchise. Now he had Don Nelson, but that was Don Nelson's last year in the NBA when he broke the at the time record for most wins by a coach. But he had Monte Ellis, who's a good score, and then just about nothing else. 
That, that, that was about it. They traded guys like Steven Jackson at the trade deadline that year. Then the next year, Steph deals with ankle injuries, bad coaching. Then he gets Mark Jackson. And then things start to change the right direction. Warriors go to the playoffs back-to-back years, win a series. They fire Mark Jackson somewhat controversially, bring in Steve Kerr, rest his history, and the Warriors have been the dynasty of the last decade. But we talk about with Magic, like, oh, he's got five rings. You know, he's, he's, he's won more championships than Steph, albeit that could change. The next that will change the next championship that Steph wins if he does get another one. Magic had the privilege to be eased into the NBA. Unlike any superstar we've ever seen in the NBA, ever. LeBron wasn't eased in the NBA. Steph wasn't. Uh Duncan kind of was to a certain degree because of the culture and the guys he had around him. But the, it, it's almost, especially today, that's unheard of. Never seen anything like that from a from a star rookie player, a star draft pick to be taken by an organization as well-run and as well-rounded as the Lakers were in 1979. Magic was eased in. Steph had to go through the daily grind, the yearly grind, to eventually get to that point of being a champion. Now, that's not to minimize who Magic was as a player. Magic was probably the greatest rookie we've ever seen with the possible exception of LeBron in 03. That's, that, that's the only, to me, comparison between the two. I think Wilt had a good rookie year as well, by the way. I could be wrong on that, but I think Wilt did. Point is, I look a lot of what you overcome. Again, we go back to LeBron and Jordan. He's talking about, oh, Jordan's 6-0 in the finals. Well, yeah, he outside of that last finals in 98, he had the best team every time. Michael Jordan never won a playoff series without Scottie Pitt. Sorry, he won one playoff game. One without Scottie Pippen. Brought one numerous series in Cleveland before he got to Miami and got D-Wade Chris Bosh, and we know the story with that. I don't think we should punish great players for having a great supporting cast, great coaches, great organization. But the margins are thin, and we consider the fact the longevity of Steph is just continuing. Again, the man's 35 years old, and he's universally... I haven't seen anybody, with any credibility at least, have Steph, in terms of ranking current players, any lower than three. I have him a second behind Jokic. He could very well take that title right back from Nikola this season. He's that. He's still that. Man just dropped 50 in a game seven. Uh, he, he dropped a 32-point triple-double in the Lakers in game four when their entire defense was keyed in on stopping. They were like, hey, Clay Thompson, you're one of the greatest shooters ever. You could shoot. You know, uh, Jordan Poole and Dante DiVincenzo, all y'all could take as many shots you want. We're focused on 30, and he still dropped, what was it, 32, 14, and 10 or something? Like, that's he's still that level of player. The conditioning, the commitment to the defense, and that's something else. Oftentimes in these GOAT discussions, sometimes the separating factor can be, well, they were both great offensively, Steph and Magic were, but one guy was a monster in the defensive end. That's the case you often hear for Jordan. That is a fair one. Like, Jordan was a better defensive player than LeBron, and you certainly can make that case. Magic and Steph, it's kind of eh, it's kind of even. Magic was not a lockdown defender, neither is Steph. Both good. Like, Steph's a good defender for, for his size, for his position. Magic was a good defender for his size and his position. Also, too, again... Steph changed how a sport was played. I don't think we take into account how mind-boggling that is. Mahomes is unbelievable. Shohei Otani's unbelievable. I think, I think we got to wait a little bit longer for Shohei because maybe we do see more two-way players coming to baseball. But currently, as we sit here today, Shohei hasn't changed how baseball's played. 
Mahomes hasn't changed the way the NFL, even the quarterback position, at least to this point, is played. The second step became a superstar in the NBA. Within the first couple of years, everybody was like, I, I, I want to play like him. Current next generation player, now I'm going to play it like Steph. I can't be 6'9 like Magic or like LeBron. I can't be seven foot like Wilt or Kareem. Yeah, but I could be six, two and a half-ish and being an amazing shooter, being a great ball handler, move without the basketball, being great physical condition, great shape. Change how sport was played, coach and analyzes, which is the line I used when he broke uh, Ray Allen's three-point record. Magic did a lot of things very well. Passed the ball. He was a good scorer. Not a great scorer. Wasn't like as good as Bird or Kareem, but was a good scorer. Um, fine, serviceable on the defensive end. There was never one thing that Magic did where you were like, oh my God. Outside of, he was an amazing passer. He's probably the set, first or second greatest passer ever. But there's never any one thing that Magic did. And you can make this case, by the way, with a lot of guys when you compare them to Steph in that their greatest skill, their greatest attribute was so much greater than anybody who's ever played the game. We don't even have this discussion about who's the best at it. We we don't have we don't have on these shows on shows like mine or debate shows like First Take or Undisputed or any of these first things first. We don't have who's the greatest shooter in the NBA. We don't do that. We almost roll our eyes when we talk about Steph Curry, greatest shooter ever. It's like we we've been saying that for how long? Eight years ish. Steph's greatest attribute changed how a sport is played. Again. Championships, Magic has the edge. MVPs, Magic has the edge. Finals appearances, again, the man had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's another factor. By the time Magic moved in his prime and Kareem moved out of his, guess who Magic had? James Worthy. One of the most underrated, certainly third stars. One of the better, James Worthy was a finals MVP. I think it was in 1998, Worthy was a finals MVP. He was excellent. He was a, he was a great player for that Lakers team, for the Showtime Lakers. Steph's second best, and I, I don't want to like denigrate the guy because I love him. Got, got his book behind me. You can't see it, but I've got his book behind me. The first championship Steph Curry won, his second best player was Andre Iguodala. Do any, unless I love Iggy, love him. I want Iguodala. I don't have the sound bite on here, but I want Iguodala. Does anybody look at Andre Godal and say, yeah, it's a Hall of Famer? He might be because of the gold medal in 2012 and the finals MVP in the four championships. He might be. Like, they're even debating gold say, hey, should number nine be hung in the rafters? Now, that I think should happen. I think number nine should be retired by Golden State because of how important he was to this dynasty. But uh, let's see. Magic, his first championship, was the second best player in a team that had the best player in the world, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Steph's first title is... Second best player and stop with the whole, hey, Andre Guadal is the MVP of the finals. Come on. Anybody who watched that finals, anybody, if you didn't know, Steph was the best player in that Golden State team. Braun was the best player in the series, not even close. Like, if you weren't going to give the finals MVP to Steph, give it to LeBron. What do you average? 33, 14, and 9? Took a team whose second best player was Matthew Dellavedova. Like, Braun was the best player in that series, but if you want to give it to the guy in the winning team, it should have went to Steph. He averaged 26 for the series, which was higher than a scoring average that year, which was his first MVP year. Was great. Excellent in Game 4. Amazing in Game 5. And played excellent as well in Game 6. Then he has the two titles with Kevin Durant. We debate, hey, who's better, Steph or Katie? That fourth title in 2022? 
who was Steph's second best player? I mean, a lot of guys, Draymond or Clay, Wiggins. I think it was Wiggins, uh, but we can have that debate. <laughs> there was a point in the series, ladies and gentlemen, where Steph Curry was averaging more points than Clay and Wiggins combined. There was a game, and by the way, people talk about, oh, well, what about 2016? To which I would say, what about 1984? Tragic Johnson. Both have awful finals on their resume against great teams. That 84 Celtics team was excellent. 2016 Cavs was excellent. Steph has beaten LeBron James three times in the finals. Magic Johnson beat Larry Bird. I think it was three times in the NBA Finals. I think it was three times, if I'm not mistaken. Two or three times. So, again, the gap is like that. That's why I say another championship for Steph, and he passes Magic. He moves into that top five players ever. And at that, to me, the, the, the absolute peak Steph can get is, is fourth all time. I mean, could he maybe pass Kareem? It's... He'd have to put together some kind of four or five-year run in order to do that. I think the highest he can go is fourth and pass Kobe Bryant where I have Kobe. But the the the, the margin for Steph Magic, it's like that. Another title? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that puts Steph above Magic. There's no question about it. But I love this discussion. Let's see. Uh, Philip Chanel to the comments. What's up, Philip? He said, well, here's the thing. I don't agree because without magic, there isn't a Steph Curry. I don't agree without magic. There isn't a Steph Curry. If you're talking about pure point guard, it's magic and it's not close. Okay. But was magic a pure point? Like when I think pure point, here's what I think of Jason Kidd and John Stockton, Chris Paul, guys who were about six feet in, uh, six feet tall, six, one, uh, guys who are great distributors, offense ran through them, could score but weren't necessarily score first, and couldn't play any other position other than than point guard. Chris Paul maybe could play a little two guard, but he's he's far best at playing at, at the point. By the way, that to me speaks to the greatness of Magic that he could play so many positions due to size, length, and versatility. Uh, let's see. Philip also said, "Who did Steph at? He had KD and Draymond for two of those titles. Again, if like I said." Accumulation of titles, it's obviously Magic 5-4 over Steph. Magic's best, or because in some cases, Magic wasn't even the best player on his own team. I think the only time you can say Steph was not the best player on the Warriors when they won any of their championships was 2017. 2015 was better than Iguodala. Like, that's that, that, that was ridiculous. I love, like I said, love Andre. fact, they gave him the finals MVP that year is ludicrous. If they didn't give it to Steph, they should have given it to LeBron, not Andre Iguodala. You know, because they said, oh, he, he shut down LeBron James. Yeah, LeBron averaged 33, 14, and 9. He really shut him down. Point is, 2017, KD was finals MVP. Like, that's, I, 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 he was amazing in that series. I think he averaged 35 on 50, 40, 80-something shooting splits. He was He's incredible in that series. And Steph played great in that finals. Steph was the best player on the Warriors that year. 2018, Steph was the leading scorer on the Warriors in three of the four games. And in all the clutch. Now, Katie hit the clutch shot in game three. But Steph hit the clutch shots in game one. Was ridiculous in game two. Broke the finals record. Single game for threes made. And in game four in the closeout game, he dropped 37 to Katie's 20. So... And then obviously 2022, nobody argues. Of course, Steph was the best player in the Warriors uh, for that series. So again, if if we're talking pure, just 
point guard and you play no other position, then it's either John Stockton, Jason Kidd, Isaiah Thomas is in that discussion. I think Isaiah is the third greatest point guard ever behind Magic and Steph. Uh, but that that's to me the issue. Uh, Philip Magic also played better teams in the finals. Steph had a super team and played LeBron. That's it, except 2016. Picture yourself wrapped in its softness. Whether you're enjoying a captivating TV show, gathered around a crackling campfire, or cheering for your favorite football team, Minky understands your fall cravings. Our blankets are tailor-made for those heartwarming autumn vibes. With a variety of colors, they're perfect for complementing the hues of fall, as well as showing off your team pride with their vibrant team colors. And the best part? We've got sizes for the whole family, ensuring that everyone can experience the joy of cozying up in Minky's embrace. This fall, let Minky be your companion in creating unforgettable moments. Wrap yourself in comfort, share love, and relish the essence of the season. Minky Blankets, where warmth meets love in every color for every moment. Fall into one of our Minky Couture stores or visit us online at minkycouture.com. Did Magic play better teams? Like, that's not, uh, that's not a shot. It's the, 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 now, the Celtics in 86. Celtics in 86 won the best teams ever. But that 2016 Cavs team was legit. That 2017 Cavs team was amazing. It's actually better than the 2016 team. Problem is, you had Kevin Durant. Um, again, if we're talking teams, coaches, again, I, th I think we often underestimate how good Ty Lue is as a coach. Uh, and Steph, not all of Steph's teams, I think two of, of the four titles Steph has won, two were super teams. Two were legitimate, stacked. I'm talking unbeatable. Clay, people forget this. Clay was awful in the 2015 finals. Awful. I mean, there's the meme of Clay. From game six, when the Warriors closed out Cleveland, there's a meme of Clay when he fouled out and his shooting splits were, I mean, awful. What did he score? Six, seven, but he was terrible in that series. Draymond was good in 2015. He's much better in 2016. Uh, 2022, that was all Steph. And by the way, is there, that's something else too. I can go on and on with this, but was there ever, was there ever a finals in which, Magic was not just the best player in his team. There were plenty of finals where that was the case. But where he was twice as good as the second best player? I don't know about that. You had Kareem for like the first half of that Lakers dynasty when Kareem was still not the best player of the world, but still top 10, you know, level guy could give you 30 any given uh, you know, any given finals. And then he had James Worthy for the second half of it. With Kareem as your third best player. Kareem, old Kareem or Draymond Green? Like, I love Draymond. <laughs> Kareem's the third best player ever. Like, that's not even, again, we're talking about what they inherited. And again, we're splitting hairs here because we kind of have to with these discussions. Both Magic and Steph changed the game in their respect. Uh, again, they're both so important to the NBA in different ways because Magic, with the addition of Larry Bird, literally saved the NBA. NBA was irrelevant in the 70s. Finals were on tape delay. And you had these two guys. One went to big, flashy Los Angeles. Again, flashy player goes to flashy Los Angeles. Kind of a scrappy player goes to a scrappy city, Boston. Opposite coasts uh, of the country, of course. There's no question there was the racial element in that. Uh, you, know, you know, a lot of black people uh, rooted for Magic. A lot of white people rooted for Bird. Two of the 10 greatest players ever. Versatile, skilled. They literally saved the NBA. L folks, when... <laughs> 
If you were, think of it, think of it today. Uh, your local 11 p.m. news uh, here in, in 2023 coming up after the news, uh, game four of the NBA finals. Like that's that, that that's not even that's unthinkable. That's how it was back in the day. Now I know how content is distributed is is very different now compared to the 70s. I understand that the Magic of Birds saved the NBA. And as for Steph, he changed how it's played. Frankly, I'd argue Steph changed the you know, the greatest way is he changed the way the game is played, not necessarily just from a shooting standpoint but from a skill standpoint. Back in the day, you had to have a big. You had to have a big. When Steph came in, guys like Roy Hibbert, to a greater extent, Dwight Howard, were kind of relegated to bench guys. Like, it's taken Embiid. It's taken Jokic. About to get into Embiid uh, in, in a couple segments from now. It's taken guys like that, like, they can shoot. They're more skilled than some of these, uh, aside from your Shaqs, aside from your Kareems. Most of these bigs in the last 25, 30 years. Like, that's that's what Steph's got. That's what, that was, that's what he's done. We should do just an hour show on this. Because um, I know Lakers, and, and Phillip's a big Lakers fan. But I know Lakers fans that are watching this are just absolutely losing it. Like, it's not just that we're talking about a guy being a better point guard than Magic. It's the fact that it's a warrior that we're talking about. That's, uh, which which just makes it sting all the more, I would, I, I would imagine. Okay. Uh, also, let me just mention this. So, uh, Saturday, this past Saturday, so at that point, two weeks away from college football. I can't wait. It's going to be an awesome 2023 season. It's going to be a blast. I think my balls are going to be going to have a great season. Uh, but what also happened on Saturday, once again, as a repeat of Friday with an eight run, uh, with an eight run score by the Boston Red Sox. Could you please tell me, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, what happened on Saturday uh, afternoon? The Yankees lose. <laughs> <laughs> two. That's two. So we took the series, clinched the series in, 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 on Saturday. It was beautiful. It's beautiful. The Yankees couldn't do anything offensively. Then again, that's been the case all season long. Uh, real quick before I get into the Aaron Rodgers segment, I did want to uh, give a take on this because this is two straight shows now that I've done where a big breaking news story has happened about, or at least broke, about two minutes before I went live. Last week it was Shannon Sharp going to first take in ESPN, and now it's the the Jonathan Taylor news. and. So Adam Schefter reported that Jonathan Taylor, the Colts have given him permission to seek a trade. And Stephen Holder, who covers the NFL for ESPN, he says that the Colts are seeking a first-round pick or a package of picks that equates to as much in a potential Jonathan Taylor trade. Okay, so basically he's saying basically saying it's, it's a first-round pick or a bunch of picks that sort of add up to that. I think the latter's more likely. Actually, I don't know. Listen, here's it depends on who trades for him. Because the thing is, if we're talking about who has the leverage, eh, I mean, these NFL teams going to be going to the Colts saying, why should we? Why should we give up a first-round pick? The running back market is, you know, the price for running backs is as low as it's ever been in terms of importance to winning. We'll have to pay him. If we trade for him, it can't just be a one or two year rental. Like the, the whole point of this trade request, even being a, a thing is the fact that Jonathan Taylor didn't get paid. I don't know. That's, 
that th- this has a potential if this is even possible to actually get uglier than it act- than it already is. So I don't know. I don't know. That 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 could be a problem. Okay. I did want to touch on this for a moment is the New York Jets who have I think it's fair to say been the most discussed team during training camp rightfully so with Aaron Rodgers coming in and they added Dalvin Cook and they're on hard knocks. A lot of things going on for this for this Jets team, this Jets organization. But Aaron Rodgers was talking to CBS and he was talking about the future of the Jets, just beyond not just beyond this year for the Jets, but also for himself. He said, quote, I think we're going to be competitive here for a long time. I'd like to be able to play a few good years here and then hand it right back off to Zach and let him go for the next 15. It'd be a really great special 18 to 20 year run of great quarterback play. Uh, for real quick, that second part, there's no way. I'm sorry. I've never bought a Zach Wilson from the beginning. There's no way Zach Wilson has become the Jets starter after Aaron Rodgers for the next 15 years. It's just not, it's not happening. It's, but as far as Aaron, I talked about this. Was this last month? I think it was right when I came back from vacation. That Aaron did a press conference right when training camp started. And he was saying, just going on and on about his teammates and Garrett Wilson and the defense and the coaches. And it's just great to be here. And it's, you know, it's unfamiliar territory considering the fact that I was so used to Green Bay and driving down, what is it, Lombardi Avenue or wherever it is, uh, wherever Lambeau Field's located. And all this. And he just through it just snuck in the little nugget of saying this is something that we can do here for a long time. And I'm like, ah, gotcha. Gotcha, Aaron. You got to be, listen, Aaron's not like the typical, and, and by the way, I do appreciate this. Uh, again, sometimes it's for better, sometimes it's for worse, but the one thing I do appreciate about Aaron Rodgers uh, is that he's not going to give you a cliche press conference. But what are all the cliche phrases we know? Turn the page. Bill Belichick on to Cincinnati. You know, it's just one play at a time, and uh, you just got to be ready next week and put the preparation in. Or if you, if you, your season comes in, we'll be better next year. And it's the losses on me. All this. The one thing I appreciate about Aaron, for better or for worse, he tells you what's on his mind. That's not always good for the Packers or Jets. It's great for shows like mine, so I appreciate that. Anybody, any athlete who creates content, like Kawhi Leonard's terrible for, for carving it up live or any other shows. Kawhi doesn't create any content. And the most content he's ever created was not even anything he said. It was just by a laugh, okay? Like, that's very different from, from Aaron. But when he talks, though, you have to, to kind of read into little messages he throws in. He's talking about this could be fun to do this for a long time. Like, oh, this, wait a minute. It's not going to be here just beyond this, just this year. I continue to say, I don't know if I've ever seen this from an athlete. I've seen it from Pete. Listen, the thing is, as, as humans, as individuals, as time goes on, I think we become more of what we already are. If we are compassionate, I think we become more compassionate. If we're generous, we become more generous. And I think the same can be said about selfishness or greed. I think that happens for all of us as as individuals. Uh, I think when you get older, you become more liberal or you become more conservative. Like that's, you become more of what you are as you get, as you get older. The fact, again, I don't, was I missing something in Green Bay? I don't, I really don't think I was. Matter of fact, now I'm almost certain I wasn't. Aaron Rodgers has gone from never committed to the offseason 
whether it's darkness retreats, ayahuasca, uh, you know, vaccine battles with the NFL, contract battles with the Packers, not really that much commitment into his teammates or working with wide receivers. He's gone from that to, I want to be around my teammates all the time. I saw a report the other day that he eats lunch with a different teammate every day. Like, who is, if you had just told me, if the, if the headline was quarterback, and let's just say this was last year, quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback eats with different teammate every day for lunch. I'd be like, oh, that's Tom Brady. Like, like, like Tom, remember that it was the old thing that Tom would always do in New England, and even, I, I guess he did in Tampa as well. Hi, my name is Tom Brady. The rookie's like, duh. <laughs> yeah, you're the greatest player in the history of the league. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty aware of who you are and what you do. This turn from Aaron Rodgers, I, I keep saying it, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Now, again, do I view the Jets as the cream of the crop in the, uh, in the AFC? I don't. I think that's Kansas City. I think that's Cincinnati. As much as it pains me to say, I think it's Baltimore. That made me feel a lot better as a Steelers fan to say Cincinnati, but Cincinnati's done it before. Uh, I think Baltimore's going to be a problem. I think Jacksonville's going to be a big problem this season. Like I sort of viewed the Jets on that either second tier of contenders or like at the very end of that second tier. I think they do get into the playoffs if healthy, but the offensive line is a legit concern. And and, and see, I, I go from praising Aaron. This is why it's it, it just gets uncomfortable sometimes. Aaron's not a good playoff quarterback. Like I, I, I've I've been on this for a long time. Like since that Super Bowl, seven and nine. Some of those nine are some bad, bad losses. That's the only thing I worry about. Now, in terms of the regular season, again, you, you look at the Jets schedule. I should have put up a graphic. But if you look at the Jets season uh, to start, they probably have the most brutal schedule, early schedule of any team in football. And a lot of that was once the Aaron trade was made official, that was like late April, NFL schedule came out early to mid-May. The NFL was like, hey, let's put the Jets on as much as possible early in the season. They did this with the Broncos last season. And they did it with Tampa Bay, Tom's first season there in 2020. Bills at the Cowboys, Patriots, home against the Chiefs, at the Broncos, and we know there's the beef with Sean Payton and 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 uh, Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, at the Giants, Chargers. Uh, that uh, that early now their late schedule is a breeze. Atlanta, Houston, at Miami. That's a legit one. Commanders at the Browns, at the Patriots. Like late season, they should be able to stack up some wins. You know what is it? The last six games minimum go four and two in those games and get in the playoffs. But. Initially, again, when this trade was sort of made official, quote-unquote, back in March, at least we knew that this trade was going to go down, my mindset was Aaron's getting older. Aaron's coming off a season where he's injured. Aaron appears less committed than ever. And he's proved me completely wrong. Completely wrong. And some of it goes to, again, I'm not going to just put all the blame on Green Bay. Like, it's all Green Bay's fault that Aaron was this headache for the last few years. A lot of it is on Aaron. But some of that would be, He's from California. He's from the Bay Area. He likes the big city. He's embraced New York. He's going to Madison Square Garden. He's going to, to, to the Tonys, which is <laughs> the actor Josh Gad had a great post on Instagram. He said Aaron Rodgers getting a front seat for the Tonys is like me getting a front row seat to the to the SVs. Like it just looked weird, but he was at the Tonys. 
You had he was going to Taylor Swift concerts and 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 just dancing to 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 shake it off. He was having a good time. Like he's he's embraced New York City and he's embraced his teammates. And and, and I, I I give Aaron a lot of props. But when I saw this quote, I was like, okay, yeah, that that, that confirmed what I thought last month. Uh, so listen, and Aaron isn't going to be just jolly old Aaron all season long. Again, I think it's going to be a struggle for the Jets to start the season. Brutal early schedule, still working out the kinks but they got a much better opportunity to make it work in the long run because of the fact that Aaron has worked with receivers. This isn't just a situation where Aaron goes in, fly him in the seat of his pants. Hey, maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Kind of like he did last year in Green Bay. Love the new Aaron I'm seeing. Love it. And I give him props for it. Give him a lot of props. Let's see. Oh, man, we got a lot of comments from my man Parnell. What's up, Parnell? Who has the most to prove in the NFL? Justin Fields is up there with Chicago. Two is there with Miami. A lot of young quarterbacks, uh, guys who are going into year two, year three. Mac Jones, I don't even, I, I never expected anything from Mac coming in the league. That may sound harsh, but I, I, I didn't. Uh, so I'd probably say two and and Justin Fields, probably those two. Because uh, those are, listen, there's, it's the old Bill Parcells. Now, two is going to year four, Fields going to year three. It's the old Bill Parcells thing I referenced from time to time that. Quarterbacks when they come in, especially first round quarterbacks, year one's gonna be up, it's gonna be bumpy, it's gonna be up and down, it's gonna be a little rough from time to time. But you want to see like a gradual improvement, you want to develop them. Year two, there needs to be a pretty steady jump. We have a long history. I did a whole segment on this a couple weeks ago talking about Kenny Pickett and how I think Pickett's gonna have a big year. That there's a long history of guys having pretty average to subpar, in some cases, horrible rookie seasons, and then balling out year two, so in some cases being in the MVP discussion. And Year three, if you're not the guy, like the franchise needs to move on. I think Justin Fields is in that position, but I think he's going to do well. He's improved as a pocket uh, passer. I think the offensive line is significantly better than it was a year ago, and the weapons are good. Uh, now, the defense is the only thing I worry about, but again, it's the NFC, just like what I talked about the Giants earlier. It's not exactly a, a, a gauntlet of great quarterbacks, great coaches, and great rosters. It's, it's really not, aside from Philly, San Francisco. Let's see, Parnell, Parnell makes a fair point here. But are there times Aaron can lie and be full of himself? No question about it. But I, That has been probably the thing I've criticized him on. That and leadership. Um, maybe he's BS. Listen, only time will tell. But you can usually smell. I mean, Alan Lazard, by the way. I think Alan Lazard is as qualified to talk about this subject as anybody in the planet because he played with Aaron Rodgers when Aaron was sort of you could sort of call him grumpy old Aaron, a little weird. And Alan Lazard, who's now with the Jets, was talking about like, this is a different dude. Like back in Green Bay, he'd if somebody ran the wrong route, he'd cuss him out, he'd yell at him. Now with the Jets, he'll pull him over the side. Like, hey, let, you know, you need to do this. I need, it needs to be a little bit more, there's more communication, I guess, with Aaron. More effective communication. So look, Alan Lazard knows the guy a lot better than me. So I'll, I'll, I'll take his word for it. Uh, Parnell, imagine if Patrick Mahomes acted like Aaron Rodgers. If you're talking about the past, yeah, he would get uh, immensely criticized. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, people often look for reasons to hate uh, athletes, especially star athletes, flashy athletes. Let's be real, black athletes. So I do agree with you, Parnell. Uh, Parnell, uh, being in New York rejuvenates your career, especially a talent like Aaron's, no question. And he says, who's the worst playoff quarterback, Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning? Wow, that's a good question. I'll say Aaron, and here's why. And I see, because I love Peyton, because he's a Tennessee guy. I think he's the third best to ever do it. Peyton has some clunkers. 
But in his defense, his losses were coming, most of them were coming to Tom Brady. Now, there was the occasional Mark Sanchez loss, Joe Flacco loss, but the vast majority of Peyton's career playoff losses, they came to the greatest quarterback ever. A lot of Aaron's career playoff losses, they've, losses, they've come to, let's see, Matt Ryan, Jimmy G twice. Jimmy G. Uh, I mean, who, who else has Aaron lost to in the playoffs? Trying to think, twenty, yeah, twenty sixteen. Uh, Carson Palmer, an old Carson Palmer. Carson was actually a pretty good quarterback, better than I think we give him credit for. Carson not in love all time. So Aaron and Aaron has some. I'd say Aaron. I mean, it's not just that. Oh, Peyton has more rings than him. We all know that second ring Peyton got was all because of that Broncos defense and no fly zone. But yeah, I, I would say Aaron. I would in terms of playoff performance, I, I would say uh, I would say Aaron Rodgers. What's up, Devin? My guy Bryce. See, I I I, I figured Devin because Devin and Parnell actually, folks, did just did a a pregame show uh, here on the network uh, here on the Grid Network because the Commanders and Ravens play their preseason game tonight, and so there's sort of that there's those like like that regional sort of I guess mini I don't know if the Ravens or Commanders have like a, a serious rivalry, but they play tonight. Uh, <laughs> the Ravens have won 24 straight preseason games. Like I almost I think it's got to be. I'm not just saying this to Steelers fan, and I'm not just saying this to pick on Devin, because uh, that's my guy. I think the whole Ravens preseason wins has got to be the dumbest story I've ever heard in the NFL. Well, <laughs> what are they getting for this? Yeah, 24 straight. Yeah, does it get you a draft pick? Does it get, what does it get you? I didn't know we were measured off preseason wins. Never forget the Cleveland Browns in 2017 went 4-0 in the preseason and didn't win a game in the regular season. Like, there's no evidence of preseason success, especially now with starters playing less than ever, albeit in week two, there's quite a quite a few starters I, I actually saw. But there's no evidence whatsoever that preseason success amounts to uh, to regular season success. And of course, uh, of course, you have Devin who's, who calls me a hater. No, I'm a truth teller. Listen, I, if, that, if that were the, uh, you know, if that were the, the Minnesota Vikings, I don't have any beast in Minnesota. I'd say the same thing. I'd say the same thing. Parnell and the Super Bowl loss of Seahawks 43-8. Yeah, that was probably that or the, oh, was it the 03 AFC title game? 03, he was, he was either 03 or 04, one of the Patriots back-to-back championships. Uh, Peyton was really bad in that game. Yeah, the 43. But again, sort of in Peyton's defense, that's one of the greatest defenses of all time. Now, 43 days isn't is excusable, especially to consider the fact that that Broncos offense is one of the best we've ever seen. Peyton threw 55 touchdowns, but we, we kind of knew after a while, that's why Peyton was so successful in, in Indy. Peyton was not a cold-weather quarterback. Like, and, and that often happens a lot of cases. I think that's why Aaron, outside the playoffs, has been so successful in Green Bay. A lot of the times when you play in frigid temperatures, you got to have a monster arm. Like, you almost always have to. And so, yeah, that's... That's, by the way, that's the reason I have a little bit concern for Deshaun in Houston. Deshaun does not have a monster arm, and Cleveland gets cold in the winter. Lake Erie's no joke. Uh, he says it shows we can build a young team. Is, is So winning the game is, is an automatic, you know, showing of that? Again, listen, you, you, Herman Edwards said you play to win the game. I get that, but I never, I, I don't remember him saying you play to win the the the, the exhibition game. I don't, I don't remember that. Of course you want to win, but it's not a... It's going to ruin your now. If, now it's different, obviously, if you're a, a player trying to make the team or trying to make the practice squad. But if you're a star, if you're a coach, you're not like it's keeping you up at night, as opposed to if you lost uh, a game in 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 earlier to mid December on a walk off field goal and it hurts your playoff chances. That's 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 quite a bit different. Um, 
I'm telling you, man, this Jonathan Taylor case is just like I said, it's it's it could get ugly. Because I don't think, again, the market for running backs. We saw what Dalvin Cook got with the Jets. Nice deal. Pays him adequately well. But it is a one-year contract. There's no long-term security. I think that's what you're going to see in the future for running backs where even talent. Dalvin Cook's still a very productive player at his position. But you're going to see a lot of one- and two-year deals rather than what what did Dallas give Zeke, like a six-year deal? The Saints gave Camaro a long deal. Those are going to be more and more few and far between, at least for the smaller organizations. And I feel, like I said, I feel bad. And it's not that I, 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 I you know, just hate running backs and just want them to, to, ne- to not get their bread. But, man, man Jonathan Taylor's in a bad spot. The, the, you know, the Colts are in a bad spot because I don't think a lot of teams are going to want to trade for him because of the contract situation and because the market is so low for running backs. It's, it's bad all the way around. Uh, Devin says, I think he'll sit out the season. If he does that, that would be, I think, a colossal mistake. Le'Veon Bell did that, and Le'Veon Bell was never the same player. Like I think sitting out is the absolute worst thing you can do uh, because it's people, especially today, especially today with social media, we have such short-term memories, and oftentimes in sports we can become prisoner of the moment. It's much better for them to, even if you're not at your peak, at least people see you. Least people say, and I said this by the way about Lamar Jackson when there was, a, and I, I was an advocate for years. God, play Lamar. He's a seventy-five percent when seventy-five percent of his games MVP of the league. You can't you can't go anywhere without this guy. And and the Ravens still in the more, and finally they came to sort to sort of a Lamar didn't get quite what he got, but Lamar still very much got the bag. But I remember there was reports, hey, Lamar may sit out the feet season. I'm like, no, 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 that is not the route to go. Like they, if, if teams see somebody's going to want you, if the Ravens don't, somebody will, somebody will pay you. So I feel the same thing about Jonathan Taylor. Not to the same extent that I do Lamar because Lamar plays quarterback, which is, of course, a far more important position, but it's a different thing. John Rivera, Taylor is definitely in a bad spot. Wish he gets his money. Yeah, listen, I hope he gets paid. I, For his sake, for the sake of any running back, I hope they get paid. I hope they get an adequate deal. But again, as I talked about for, as I talked about in a segment that's, you know, kind of gone around the internet a little bit last week that, I, I absolutely defend teams not doing this because there is no evidence to, in today's NFL that running the football equates to not even just make, winning the Super Bowl, even making the playoffs. Bears led the league in rushing and the worst record in football. Falcons were a great rushing team. They make the playoffs. Devin, I agree, but even if he gets traded, that team is going to pay him. That's what I'm saying. That's why I think the Colts are in a bad spot. Because it's one thing if Jonathan Taylor was had two years left on a big contract. If he was, say he was on a Zeke, actually, Zeke is a little bit too big of it. If he was on Christian McCaffrey's contract. Now, Christian makes more than Zeke, but that's a long-term deal, so he's going to be a little bit younger. Uh, or Christian got paid, uh, you know, the, the deal wasn't as long as Zeke's. If Jonathan Taylor's still productive, and he's got two years left on a deal that looks like Christian McCaffrey's, I think the market's a little bit bigger. But because of the fact, this is Jonathan Taylor's going to be his fourth year in the NFL. Excuse me. He wasn't a first-round pick, so there's no first-team op- uh, 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 team option for the fifth year. You have to pay him immediately. And so you have this year. You'll have another, what, max three years? The market's just not going to be as high. That's why I think the Colts and, 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 they are, and Jonathan Taylor's not in a great spot either. But I think the Colts are in a horrible spot. Especially the fact that you've got, and, and again, like I said, it points back to Jim Irsay's 
awful negotiating tactics. Awful. But again, this isn't ex- a guy who's exactly known for treating his players great. Not a Carson Wentz fan at all. First segment I ever did on Carving It Up Live. First segment I ever did was about how Dak Prescott is better than Carson Wentz. Now we look at that and we're like, well, yeah, duh, of course he's better. Four years ago, it was almost consistent. Oh, Wentz is better than Dak. He's more talented. But the football makeup wasn't near as good. And frankly, the the overall consistent performance wasn't as good. Uh, but the way Jim Mercy talked about Carson Wentz, I think, I think crossed the line. Because Wentz played bad at the end of the 2021 season, cost in the playoffs, but then Jim Irsay is just ripping him publicly in the media after he's already gone. It's like, do, do you like other players are going to see that? Like, just don't think this is just a a completely limited to Carson Wentz. We saw the Andrew Luck thing went down; it was horrible. His, his, his negotiating tactics are not great. Okay, well, moving on to an NBA topic is the Philadelphia 76ers who are just in a complete uh, mess right now. And in large part, they do have themselves to blame because it was them, after all, who did trade for James Harden. I talked about Harden last week and about how we have to accept not just who he is now as a player, but frankly, who he was. He was never going to be a guy with that style of basketball to win a championship. Never was. But we're so because there's so much chaos in Philadelphia... With you had the Ben Simmons thing. Even before that, you had the whole uh, was it Brett Brown was their head coach before Doc Rivers, and Brett Brett wasn't a coach that was capable, I think, at least, of taking a team and winning a championship. But Brett was not a bad coach. He came from the Popovich coaching tree. But you had the Brett Brown drama. You had the Ben Simmons ultra drama. You have now the James Harden stuff, and we continue to just skate by the fact and not give the same injury uh, energy to a certain player that we would give other superstars, and that is, of course, Joel Embiid. Is Joel Embiid to blame for this James Harden incident? Absolutely not. But I was thinking about Joel, and he's obviously one of the... A lot of guys, people have him top five. He's not... Uh, get to a conference finals, that can call you top five. But I think he's, he's right at six. Six or seven, he's in that, like, Luka Doncic discussion. I think he has a very interesting comp as a player, not in terms of, of style. They play very different, very different sizes. Is Joel Embiid the 2023 version of what Russell Westbrook was about a decade ago? Maybe a little less than a decade, like around the time Westbrook won his MVP in 2017 with the triple-double? First of all, just from a number standpoint, from an accomplishment standpoint, they're... It's almost identical. Both have two scoring titles. Both have an MVP. Again, we're talking when Westbrook won his MVP in 2017. Westbrook got an MVP. Embiid just won MVP. Both have two scoring titles. Both have been, at that point, when Westbrook won his MVP, six-time All-NBA. And six All-Star appearances, of course. I'm almost wondering if that's the compare because... And I've criticized Embiid for this. I talk about this during the playoffs. I don't know if his style of basketball can win in the long run. Because the thing is, and I was always a bigger Embiid guy than a Jokic guy, but as, listen, I've talked about in the show and others have talked about in the media, like when new information presents itself, you can't just ignore it. Like you can use information. You currently have to form an opinion, but if new information comes in, 
you may have to adjust that, if not completely change it, given what the you know how 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 big said info is. Jokic makes guys better. Jokic before this postseason run, which is one of the best we've ever seen by an individual player. Jokic did take a team to the Western Conference Finals back in 2020. By the way, doing so, and a lot of that was Jamal Murray, which I've been I've religiously stated. On back-to-back 3-1 comebacks. The Jazz in the first round and the Clippers, who were the more talented team, in the second round. Joel Embiid's had numerous opportunities. 2018, I will hold against him. Right, He was a younger player. It was his second full season in the NBA. First All-Star season. They lost to Boston. Whatever. That second year against Toronto, Philly was a better basketball team than Toronto. More talented, at least. And that Toronto team, by the way, went on to win the championship. And folks say, well, if Kawhi, if Kawhi doesn't hit that shot, then maybe it goes to overtime. Maybe Philadelphia wins it. Maybe. But if Embiid plays better in that game seven, it never comes down to a Kawhi shot. If Embiid, we forget there was a game four in that series in which Embiid didn't play quite to his, Embiid had a monster game three, didn't play as well in game four. Kawhi went crazy. Toronto tied that series up and we know ended up winning the series in seven games. Embiid did not play well in that game seven when he had a somewhat engaged Ben Simmons as a teammate. He had Jimmy Butler. He had Tobias Harris, and he had J.J. Redick as a spot-up shooter. 2020, weren't, they weren't healthy. They got swept by Boston, whatever. 2021, against Atlanta. We talk about that. That's like, the, you know, that's like the, the, the game that sort of turned things around for Ben Simmons for the worse. When he's got the layup against Trey Young, he passes to Matisse Thibel, and he misses the free throws, and Simmons has never been the same player. Embiid did not play well in that game seven against a Hawks team where Trey Young played awful, at least shot awful. Kevin Hurd, it was a Kevin Herter in a big game seven. 2022 against Miami. Joel Embiid's inability to stay healthy cost them. Last year, 3-2 lead, Boston Celtics. We can blame Harden, we can blame Doc, and we should. We're just going to ignore the fact, the fact that Joel Embiid was awful in game six and was even worse in game seven, was outplayed by Al Horford. If that was Steph Curry or Jokic or Kevin Durant, if it was Anthony Davis, we wouldn't let them hear the end of it. And this is an MVP of the league we're talking about. That when Westbrook was in his prime, when Westbrook was winning that MVP and getting those triple doubles, I didn't have a show at the time, but everybody's just going nuts about the guy. So that that that, that style of basketball does not win. It's inefficient. It doesn't work. It doesn't involve any skill in terms of shooting the basketball. You say, well, that Oklahoma City team wasn't good. Well, how about the one the year after that had Paul George and Carmelo Anthony? How about the year after in which Paul George had the best season of his career and he ended up losing in five to Portland? Joel Embiid, here's his, here's his offense. Harden or, or, or Maxi or whoever's playing point dribbles up, throw it out to Embiid. Jab step, jab step, jab step, fake, jab step, dribble, dribble, dribble. What Charles Barkley said, dribble, 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 dribble. Dribble, dribble, fake, fake. And he'll either draw a foul or he'll take the shot. It ain't that hard to game plan for. It's hard to stop. Joel Embiid's a great basketball player, but there's so much more uh, variety in Jokic's game. He has numerous different ways to beat you. There's so many different ways for Steph to beat you, for even Giannis to beat you, especially in the defensive end. If you compound, you add that to his offense. There's different ways for LeBron to beat you. 
Like that to me is what different ways for Luca to beat you. Like there's different things that separate and Embiid really doesn't have that. He's kind of one-dimensional, kind of like Westbrook. People are going to laugh at that now. And people look at Westbrook now and thinking like, oh man, he's Lakers didn't want him. He was a disaster there. And he's come off the bench now for the Clippers. Okay, we can we can look at that. We can look at Westbrook now, but we forget what he was six years ago. Very different. Well, I shouldn't say very different player. Certainly was more skilled. There was you know, a better spot athletically. I'm just saying, we don't give Embiid that. I've been on this for a while. We don't give Embiid that same energy we give other guys. Again, I'm not crushing him for not having a championship. Listen, the 2019 team, the 2019 Sixers, I think were good enough to win the championship. That, that that's only 2021. Maybe Philadelphia could have beaten Milwaukee. Maybe I, I doubt it, but maybe 2019 that team was good enough to win the title. So, but I won't hold against Embiid for the rest of those years. Is a conference finals asking too much? Is staying healthy? If your body holding up again, a lot of it is the way Embiid plays. It's very physically taxing. The way Jokic plays does not. I don't know. That that I was thinking about that, and that's I think it's as close of a comparison as you can get. We listen. This this situation is all in hard. Like I don't want to uh, and see we're like oh Embiid had something to do with this, but I'm saying hey Embiid might end up with the Knicks. It's like okay, but the Knicks have to give up a lot of assets, and are we absolutely certain they're getting to the conference finals? Absolutely certain. Okay, only time will tell. Let's see. Patrick Brown, I believe Joel Embiid will request a trade. Miami is looking closely. Well, Miami would be an interesting fit because we know heat culture. You plug somebody into there. And, you know, I was thinking, like, Miami is sort of like Warriors East where you plug just about any player, aside from Jordan Poole, into an organization, and they're going to get they're, you're going to get the best out of them that you can possibly get. And so you're talking about a guy to the town, Joel Embiid? Yeah, that'd be a problem. But what would the trade package look like? I mean, Portland doesn't like Miami's package for Dame. And I love Dame. I would take him for a year, not long-term, but for a year over Joel Embiid if I want to win the championship. But Embiid's a better player today. If Portland doesn't like Miami's deal, how do we know Philly's going to like Miami's deal? That, that, that's, the, that's the aspect of it that, that doesn't make sense to me, but we'll see. And plus two. You don't really have a guy who, again, you have Bam. Would you have to give up Bam, I guess? Bam's better than the defensive end at times than, you, uh, than, than Embiid is at times. Certainly better on the perimeter. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Okay. So, again, we're, we're running a little longer than usual, but uh, listen, there's, there's a lot going on in the world of sports. We're less than two weeks away from college football. We're two and a half weeks away from the NFL season. We're so close, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but I also did before uh, NFC East weaknesses in just a moment, but I also just did, uh, you know, one more time. Uh, yesterday was a wild game in the Boston Red Sox home away from home, also known as Yankee Stadium, the house that Jeter built. And it was back and forth. There was a crazy review in the eighth inning and and Justin Turner had a big homer in the seventh. And then this kid for the Yankees tied it up in the bottom of the seventh. And, and then Justin Turner comes up clutch in the, in the top of the ninth. Kenley Jansen locks it down the ninth. It was all said and done, ladies and gentlemen, for the third time over the weekend. One more time. David Ortiz, Big Poppy. What happened on yesterday afternoon? The Yankees lose. <laughs> that eight straight losses 
for the Bronx, uh, for the Bronx Bombers, at least what they what they used to be called, right? Eight straight losses. First time that's happened since 1995. I love it. I don't listen. I don't think the Red Sox are going to be if they get in the playoffs, which I think we still can. I don't think we're going to make incredible amounts of damage. But uh, I must say, I am uh, I'm reveling, reveling in the Yankees' demise. It's, it's beautiful to watch. It's a poorly run front office. It's a in over his head manager, and it's a poorly put, put together roster. Listen, I didn't think they'd be this bad. Uh, I'm enjoying it though. Love it, love it. Even got my like my red Gatorade over here to celebrate. Love it. Okay, so th- I, I started this on Thursday. Didn't shoot do a show on Friday, uh, but throughout the next couple of weeks leading up to the start of the NFL season, which again is two thirds or three Thursdays from now, Kansas City and, and Detroit. I thought about doing a because I do some a segment similar to this before the playoffs every year. The whole the weakness of every team that's in the playoffs, like the thing that'll hold them back from winning the Super Bowl. And oftentimes I, you know, percentage I, I get that right is probably around 70% ish. And but I, I decided to A throw a positive spin on in terms of strengths, because I think even the, the worst teams have something. They have something they're good at. And even the, the best teams have something they're not good at. But I thought about doing it division by division, strengths and weaknesses. So I did the AFC East on on Thursday last week. And today I'm going to do the NFC East. So if we can get the background music uh, uh, going right now to discuss the NFC East. Ready to go. Okay. Let's start with the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that just played in Super Bowl 57, lost barely to Kansas City. Their biggest strength is... They're the most dominant team in the league up front on both sides of the ball. Listen, Philadelphia has talent everywhere. Uh, we understand what Jalen Hurts is as, as a quarterback. He was an MVP Canada a year ago. A.J. Brown changed the offense for the better last year. Devontae Smith is a, is a great number two wide receiver. But there's no... Listen, there may be offensive lines better than Philly, although I doubt it. And I do think San Francisco is a better defensive line than Philly. But if we're talking just who has the best... If, we're, if you could like combine the two, who's the best team in the trenches on both sides of the ball... It's Philadelphia. Offensive line is stacked. Lane Johnson is still an elite player. Jason Kelsey coming back for potentially his last year in the league is still an excellent center. Good left tackle. Defensively, you still have Brandon Graham, who's at the top of his game. Hassan Reddick, who still is a monster pass rusher, is right in his element. Uh, Philadelphia's got a lot of talented players in their roster, but I think that's that's really their bread and butter. Like giving Jalen Hurts time uh, or, or you know, either throw the ball, give them time to run the ball, and then defensively making life a living hell for quarterbacks on the other side of the ball. Philadelphia does that better. Both, both, both of those things together better than any team in the National Football League. They're great at that. That's why they got to the Super Bowl and why they're certainly in a position to potentially do that again. Their weakness, however, in the last two years, elite quarterbacks routinely torch their secondary. Go back to 2021. And now, and you'll have a new defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, taking the Cardinals' job. But you look back to 2021, Brady torched him, Dak torched him. Uh, gosh, it was Mahomes torched him, which he went on to do in the Super Bowl, you know, 15 months later. And then this year, Dak torched them. Mahomes torched them. They got Trevor Lawrence, but they got him in a monsoon. In the, I should say monsoon. They got him in a rainstorm. Like it, wasn't, it wasn't like it was like Chicago in week one against San Francisco, but it was pouring rain and Trevor wasn't quite ready yet. Routinely, 
elite quarterbacks go up and down the field in this Philadelphia defense. I don't think the secondary... Darius Slay is still a good corner. Bradbury is solid. I don't think the secondary is quite... And by the way, they lost that kid uh, to uh, to Detroit, uh, you know, the safety. So they're not quite as deep in the secondary. And they, again, elite quarterbacks tend to go up and down the field on them. That's their weakness. And I think that's frankly why they lost the Super Bowl because the offense put up plenty good of a performance. Jalen Hurts played excellent. Some even argued he played better than Mahomes. Wide receivers were great. Offensive line played well. But defense let him down against the best football player on earth, Patrick Mahomes. Moving on to the Dallas Cowboys. A lot of expectations for them coming into this season. Their biggest strength, it's really two strengths. The Dak attack, Dak's attack rather, can hang 40 on any defense. And Micah's unit, Micah Parsons, can hold any offense to under 20. We have numerous instances where the Dallas Cowboys went for over 40 this year, uh, this past year. They went for almost 50 on Chicago. They did go for 50 on Indianapolis. They hung 40. Just talk about Philly secondary on Philly. Against a good Tampa defense, Dak hung 31 on them. Numerous other 30-point games. Dallas's offense is not an issue. I actually think... <laughs> Dak's interception problem was a real thing a year ago. There's no question about it. But some of that was an average to below average offensive line. And outside of C. Lamb, not much at all at wide receiver. The, the stats bear that out in terms of yards of separation. Now, you have Brandon Cooks. Knock on what he stays healthy, but you got him back. Michael Gallup, healthy offseason coming off that ACL from a year and a half ago. So you do have some good weapons now. You have Deuce Vaughn, Tony Pollard coming back from injury. We'll see how he works. So, and by the way, Dallas's offense is going to be a lot more, you know, creative. Going to be a lot more versatile, not just a bunch of 10-yard curls, Kellen Moore. And then defensively, I think that speaks for itself. The Cowboys defense that was very good at the end of the year got better. They added Stephon Gilmore, who's now their number two corner. Dallas probably has the best corner tandem in football with Diggs and Gilmore. Micah Parsons leads the, uh, the, the pass rush. He's still got Demarcus Lawrence. He plays well. And in the linebacking core, you have Leighton Vander. So that's, by the way, the safeties for Dallas are good. Donovan Wilson uh, is, is a heck of a player. Malik Hooker. So he's some very good players on that side of the ball. Dallas's defense is going to keep them in a lot of games this year. Again, this is a Dallas defense that is capable of holding one of the better offenses, San Francisco last year, to 19. The weakness for Dallas, as we saw with San Francisco and the year before with San Francisco and numerous other games, situational football in big games tends to be sloppy and chaotic. Both of the last two years for Dallas, their season ended on a... Huh? What was that? That's how their season ended? The infamous Dak quarterback draw, where the fact they were running a quarterback draw with 14 seconds left, no timeouts is insanity to begin with. But Dak ran too far, took too long. They couldn't get the ball to the ref to snap the ball, to clock it. It was just weird. And then last year, they somehow topped it. And again, Kellen Moore's gone, so this should should help things. (laughs) But poor Ezekiel Elliott, his last play as a Cowboy, he snaps the ball to Dak and gets pummeled. And Dak completes a pass. I forgot who it was. Maybe it was to Cavante Turpin, I think it was, the returner, who gets blown up. And again, Dallas wasn't going to win the game in that play, but it would have been nice to see something a little more, I don't know, uh, or should say less confusing. So in situations of football we've seen, whether it's been with Mike McCarthy, whether it's been with the defense, whether it was at time Dak's interceptions, situational football has plagued Dallas in a bad way in the past, and that could get them this year. Moving on to a team I just talked about earlier on today's show. Very optimistic outlook on this team. The New York Giants, what's their strength? Creative offensive head coach with excellent skill position players. Brian Dable won coach of the year last year. We saw what he did with Josh Allen back in Buffalo. And now you have Daniel Jones. Again, I talked about the continuity between those two. 
You have Saquon Barkley coming back off his best season. You add Darren Waller, who went healthy, is one of the five best tight ends in the sport. And you drafted Jalen Hyatt at the University of Tennessee, who's dominated camp and is going to dominate the National Football League uh, at moving forward starting in week one against the Dallas Cowboys. But this is a Giants team that's got much better weapons than it did a year ago. It's an offensive head coach with a, cook, uh, a, a quarterback, a veteran quarterback, having a good relationship between those two. I think the Giants are a team that very much could contend for a playoff spot because of that. Their weakness, on the other hand, though, sorry, Giants fans, I had to be a little bit realistic here. Daniel Jones is not talented enough to win shootouts against elite quarterbacks. He's just not. He's, arm talent isn't insane. He, he is athletic. He is far more mobile than we give him credit for. Just because he looks like Eli Manning does not mean he necessarily moves like Eli. But accuracy can come and go. Like, if you're the Giants and say you win a playoff game against, I don't know, the Saints or something, if you advance, you play a Jalen Hurts, you play a Dak Prescott, you really think Daniel Jones is going throw for throw with those guys? And again, that's all you need to go through, and Brock Purdy as well, to to win the NFC. That's just not his game. That, that's uh, He had an opportunity to do that in Philadelphia against Jalen Hurts and was completely overwhelmed. So that's, Daniel Jones is still a limited quarterback, and I think that, you know, sort of puts the ceiling on uh, what what the New York Giants can do this year. Uh, For the Washington Commanders, finally, in that division, their strength, when leading in games, the pass rush is absolutely lethal. It's incredible. You have guys, obviously, you have Chase Young coming back from injury. It's a big prove-it year uh, for Chase Young. You have Deron Payne. You have plenty of guys. Jonathan Allen. They're up front. They have probably one of the four or five best front fours in the National Football League. I don't think there's any question about that in terms of their ability to get to the quarterback. Uh, to again, their secondary is good. They drafted uh, a kid out of Mississippi State uh, to, to shore up the secondary to a certain extent. Uh, Commanders are going to be a uh, I, I, listen. I think they should tank. I really do. Uh, but they have their strengths. They have uh, areas where they are uh, elite to a certain extent. Uh, you know, listen, they, we understand the limitations of quarterback, but defensively, they're really good. Ron Rivera is an excellent defensive coach, and they'll be in a lot of games for that reason. They were last year with all kinds of quarterback turmoil with Heineke and Wentz and all kinds of guys starting at quarterback for Washington. Their weakness, however, is pretty apparent. The offensive line and the quarterback are well below average. Offensive line, they have probably one of the, they have one of the five worst in the NFL. And Sam Howell's nice. I think Sam Howell could be a productive backup in the NFL. Again, we only have one NFL start to judge him by, in which he was, I mean, he was fine against Dallas. A lot of that was more the defense playing well for uh, for the commanders. But listen, I, I think Washington's getting the quarterback market going into next year's draft, potentially fire Ron Rivera, make Eric Bieniemy your head guy. And you, know, you get Caleb Williams, you get Drake May. Are you bad enough to get either of those two? I actually don't think Washington is, and that is the definition of NFL purgatory because the worst place to be is in the middle because you want to be great or you'd be awful so you can rebuild your roster. I don't think Washington is in either. So they're in a rough spot in that regard, certainly when it comes to the quarterback and the offensive line. So there you go. NFC East teams, strengths and weaknesses. Go back through them one more time. For Philadelphia, their strength is that they're the most dominant team in the league up front on both sides of the ball. Their weakness in the last two years, elite quarterbacks routinely towards their secondary. Dallas Cowboys, their strength, Dak attack, can hang 40 on any defense, and Micah's unit can hold any offense to under 20. Uh, Their weakness, however, is that situational football in big games tends to be sloppy and chaotic. To the New York Giants, their strength, creative offensive head coach with elite skill position players, and their weakness, on the other hand, is that Daniel Jones is simply not talented enough to win shootouts against elite quarterbacks. Finally, for the Washington Commanders, when leading in games, the pass rush is absolutely lethal. That's their strength, but their weakness is that the offensive line and the quarterback 
are well below average. I think our guy Parnell host the Commander's Demand podcast here on the grid would certainly agree uh, with those points. He is the most objective Commander's fan. Not that Commander's fans are delusional, but he's he's one of the more, I shouldn't say Commander's fans, just fans in general. He's one of the more objective uh, that I've seen uh, in terms of Steam. He's not going to BS and talk about, hey, we're, we're, we're good. Oh, Commanders aren't a playoff team, and he, he certainly acknowledges that. He, he, he and I agree. I think we, we think they should tank. Go check out Commander's Demand, by the way, on, on the grid. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. I appreciate everybody stopping by. Real quick before I get out of here, as I announced on Thursday's show a week ago, the carving up schedule has changed starting this week. Okay, so sh- all shows will continue to start the same, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, but it will now move. It'll be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So Thursday's show now moves to Wednesday. I think there's we have more of a variety of, of topics that we can use for those shows in terms of spacing out the days give me more time to put out some more content for you guys. So, and Wednesday, by the way, as well, will not be live. Carving Up will not be live on Wednesday, but there will still be a show. Preston Moore works for uh, News Channels t- uh, 10 in Texas. Big cowboy guy, big spur guy, covers covers sports uh, in Texas. He'll be joining the show on Wednesday. Looking forward to having him on. Again, the show won't be live, but it'll still air 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific on Wednesday, starting from here on out. So tell a friend to tell a friend, Carving It Up Live, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific time, right here on Carving It Up and the Grid Network. So just wanted to throw that out there. Want to make sure that, you know, it was, it was, it was abundantly clear, crystal clear on that. So there you go. Continue to, uh, to, 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 to spread it out there and talk, tell, tell a friend to tell a friend about Carving Up Live, okay? Tell them to hit that big red subscribe button. Uh, be sure to like, share, and comment and hit the subscribe button, as I just mentioned. And be sure to go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. We certainly would be delighted if The Grid and our lineup of shows here are amongst your favorites. Check out the grid. By the way, tomorrow night, didn't have a show last week. It looks like we're going to have a show tomorrow night. The 8 o'clock spot exclusively on the grid network tomorrow night, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, I should clarify, 5 p.m. Pacific time on the grid network's YouTube uh, and X. I'm still calling it Twitter. And Twitter uh, 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 handle. All things, it's, it's the best game show in all sports. All sports podcasts. We're going to talk NFL. We may talk some NBA. If we get to Magic and and and, and Steph, that might be an interesting discussion because there's going to be some Lakers fans. I have a I have a sneaky suspicion that they won't agree with me uh, when it comes to the the Steph Magic discussion. I've got Magic above them. I just don't think it's near as as big of a gap as some people insinuate. As I talked about in the second segment of the show, but I host the show. Biggest game show, best game show in the podcast world. The 8 o'clock spot once again tomorrow night, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time here on the Grid Network's YouTube channel as well as the Grid Network's Twitter handle. That said, hope everybody has a great week. I'll see y'all on Wednesday. Not live, but I'll still see y'all on Wednesday, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific time. Twitter, Carving Up YouTube channel, Grid Network YouTube channel. Preston Moore will be joining the show. Please be safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. Have a great week, y'all. We got one more preseason game to round out week two. Then we got one more preseason week after that. And then it's real football from here on out. I cannot wait. We're that close to football, to real life, NFL football, to college football, all the football. Cannot wait for the next six months. Stay safe out there. God bless you all.
Peace out. And once again, what happened, Poppy? Yankees lose. <laughs> Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.